0: All the way from Bokota Village in Limpopo, South Africa, we bring you Missionary Minds, where you can learn about family, church history, biblical worldview issues, and of course, missions, all from the mind of a real-world missionary of almost 20 years. And Paul, last week we had a discussion on Lobola. It was our introduction, and we did mention that the following day, which was Saturday, we were going to escort a brother and actually get to experience what we were discussing. Uh, the Lobola ceremony, something we have both experienced before. And it was interesting seeing, uh, the vendor culture, seeing ladies lying on the ground, seeing, uh, the men, uh, saying everything they had to in the various introductions. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to witness that in the context of our conversation. As we take it to the next level today, I want to, hear from you what the positives of Lobola are uh, as we go on with our discussion. So, I'll let you kick it off for us. Uh, What are the positives about Lobola? Over to you, Mfundisi. First, the story. It was
1: quite a number of years ago now, uh, having lived in the village at that time for still a number of years, in a Tsonga-speaking village. And there was a particular young man in our church uh, who was uh, a church member. and we suddenly uh, realized, unbeknownst to us, that he was uh, living with uh, a woman. And so we did visits, and we determined that, according to his view at least, they were married. So the conundrum at that time was not, should he marry this particular young lady? He, of course, was a professing believer. She was not. The question was not, should he have married her or who should he marry? The question was, are they married? And I remember there was considerable debate among the leaders in our church and like minded churches in our area of determining did he marry an unbeliever? A. If that's the case, according to 1 Corinthians 7, he doesn't have the right to divorce. If there's an interfaith marriage, you still remain in that marriage. Or was he living in fornication? Were they actually not married? As we kind of dug deeper and unraveled different facets, we, we saw that there was some kind of mild interaction between mothers, at least, or some family members, and there was some small level of payment given. But there was not a huge ceremony, there was not a huge gathering, the churches were not notified. And so I remember standing back from that situation and saying, this is so difficult because we're trying to determine if they are married, what makes marriage. Lobola itself is that marriage is, is the simple passing on of money, is the transfer of a gift. Does that make marriage itself? And that's what we're discussing here. And we tried to define lobola last week, which is the bride price. That is essentially a payment given by the groom-to-be to the parents of the bride-to-be. And we unpacked some examples of scripture of lobola and the bride price, and we tried to define it uh, last time. And today we're going to just talk about the strengths, and there of course is a, a flip side. There's weaknesses as well, which we'll deal with next time. But I think one of the reasons why Labola has lasted for so long in in Africa is that there are so many commendable pieces to this process of of the bride price, and so that's what we want to talk about today.
0: Thanks for setting it up for us, uh, there, brother. And uh, as I was spoken to. Different brothers like yourself who are missionaries here in South Africa. Something that's often commended about African culture is that there tend to, there tends to be strong family ties and family bonds, and people tend to tend to really regard their parents when doing various things. So uh, I want to start with that. Talk to us a bit about the family ties and bonds, and if there are any advantages there.
1: Yeah, one of the great benefits of lobola or the bride price is it is not simply an individual affair. It is the bringing together of families. And we saw that just this past week. We saw families interacting, and we saw uh, native dress, and we saw cultural practices. And there was definitely family members represented. We saw uncles and we saw aunties and we saw parents. And one of the benefits of this is, is that this is not something that is quick. It's not something that is done on a whim. In order to get family members together, that takes time. And so I think that's a, that's a tremendous benefit and, and blessing. I think it was uh, in a book by Kopen, uh, Is God a M- Moral Monster? Where he, he talked about the importance of, of bringing families together. When you pay a, a bride price, uh, when you are giving Labola, it is one family, in a sense, showing appreciation to the other family. That, that would be, uh, we are taking, in a sense, your daughter from you, uh, and now the other family is giving back something to them. So it is an interaction with with family members. And again, I just want to give little teasers because I think, I think that can be misleading though. Uh, yes, we ought to have families come together and that is a benefit, but I'm just going to briefly talk about some of the weaknesses. To make that even stronger would be one family member, let's say the father of the bride-to-be, really needs to get to know not only the groom, but maybe even the groom's family. So there needs to be some interaction rather than putting it all around a particular ceremony. So I think, yes, it's on the right trajectory. Families need to be involved. That's certainly a biblical precedent. But I found in some ways it's somewhat superficial. Uh, Is there really depth? And and I've seen in the past that if that lobola is not paid, they emphatically say uh, that that person will not even be allowed on their property. Pay the lobola first, then the families are meeting. Whereas I feel really families ought to be meeting each other even before the lobola process, because the lobola process is basically saying this is going to happen. But how do you know it once should happen? How do you know that this should go through? that that means there needs to be a lot of interaction between families between the father who sits down with his future son-in-law vetting him to find out the details if he's if he's worthy of
0: of the daughter. Mm. And I was thinking of that exact point because we mentioned that last week that uh one of the shortcomings is when a father is only meeting his potential son-in-law on the day. And here in an ideal world, if things were practiced um, well, then there's a there's more familial involvement that would be taking place. Uh, but let's talk about the father and the mother a little more. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks of how parents should enjoy some benefit from their children as they grow older. Uh, is there anything to be said about uh, the parents enjoying anything from their parents, some sort of Oh, sorry, parents enjoying anything from their children, some sort of expression um, of benefit or thankfulness. I think that could fit into the application of
1: honoring your parents. I think one of the blessings of Labola is you are showing appreciation to the parents. Thank you for raising such a wonderful daughter. Here is here is a token. Here is a gift, and we see examples of that in Scripture where Jacob worked seven years, ultimately 14 years for for Leah and Rachel, so he, he was expressing gratitude. Now, there's a number of things that he was communicating, and which we'll get to, but I think one of those was an appreciation to the father. She obviously was a help. Those girls were obviously a help to their father in many ways, so now he is bestowing to the parents some kind of gratitude and appreciation for it. that's done. I, I think that's a good example.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, speaking about that and showing this appreciation, and I want to move on to commitment now. And as I think of that, uh, the story you mentioned with Jacob and uh, Rachel and Leah, I think of when I was getting counseled around the whole process of Working towards marriage and um, the lobola process, and I remember the the time that my uh, wife and I were spending on this road towards marriage was actually uh, relatively short. We knew each other beforehand, uh, but it was relatively short. But even then, it felt like a long time to me. And I remember Pastor Tim Cantrell's wife, um, that would be Michelle Cantrell. Uh, she said to me that, remember, with uh, Jacob, the time seemed uh, but a few moments to him because of uh, how much he loved Rachel. And as uh, we think about Jacob's commitment to Rachel, uh, what can we say about what Lobola says about commitment in the broader sense?
1: Yeah, I think it shows that this is a young man who has thought about it, This is a man who's not simply making decisions by his emotions, a man who sees a pretty face and says, I'll love you forever in a day, and he just wants physical gratification, let's say. This is a man who says, I'm committed to this woman, I'm going to save, I'm going to sacrifice to show the depth of my love for this woman a particular woman now sometimes in the bible that was money in africa today it's often cash in the past it was cows or hoes or goats or whatever it may have been uh we have examples in in the old testament where uh actually a tragic story i think this is where uh, dinah is raped uh, by shechem and this has given us an insight of how wicked the canaanites here are the Israelites, and and they, they go into uh, Canaan, and Dinah interacts with a group of people that she shouldn't have, and she is, no doubt, she's forcibly raped, even though Shechem had some level of love uh, for her, and then he wants to marry her, he says. Now, this is very interesting. There's a lot of applications that we can take from this, and one of them is that simply because there is... Sexual uh, intimacy between a man or woman does not make it marriage. So we find that in the New Testament example where uh, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well and says, You know, you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband. So he's communicating that just because you're intimate with the opposite sex doesn't mean it's marriage. Uh, This would be an example where uh, there was uh, sexual intercourse between the two of them, but they're not yet married. He wants to be married. He wants to take her for his wife. There's actually another example in Exodus 22, talking about case law, an example where uh, a woman and a man, they are not yet betrothed. They have sexual intimacy, and now he needs to pay the bride price, scripture says, so that they can be married. But then the next verse, verse 17, says actually the father had such authority in that process that the father could actually veto that. And in that case, the bride price still had to be paid, the lobola still had to be paid, but there wouldn't be marriage because the father annulled it. So we can see from that, the application that sexual intimacy in itself does not make marriage. And we can also see from it that the pain of the bride price doesn't make marriage. Because in that case, he actually paid the bride price, verse 17, although uh, there wasn't an actual marriage that flowed from that. Uh, But overall, I think paying a price, whether it is a ring on her finger uh, whether it is uh, a house, whether it is it is a payment to to the family to show that you're serious, I think there's a lot of value to that, especially perhaps in a society where talk is cheap and there's a lot of talk and I'm gonna do this and you know how young men are I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna go over here. Hey, we want we want some evidence of this. and one of the ways you can do that is by putting down a portion of money. And so I think there's, there's value to that, to showing some level of commitment.
0: Mm, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. And I definitely felt a sense of that when I was saving up for the lobola I had to pay. Uh, I don't recall ever having uh, saved up an amount that high before. And so it took a number of months where I had to be uh, more disciplined. I had to say no to uh, certain drives to go get KFC. You know how much I love KFC, and I had to say no to so many different things because I I needed to put my money where my mouth was in in terms of showing commitment. And as you mentioned that story about uh, Shechem, it was Genesis 34, by the way. Genesis 34. Um, as you mentioned that story uh, about circumcision, sometimes uh, showing. Uh, a, fo- a level of commitment for a bride price, it made me think of uh, Saul and David, uh, and the, the, the bride price that David had to pay, but I'll just leave the story at that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about culture. Uh, many people- Oh, and that's
1: by-, by the way, if I can just jump in there, because uh, I didn't finish the story in Genesis 34 about Shechem. Remember, the the cost for that bride price was circumcision. So, now, of course, that was done in part so that the sons of Jacob tricked the father in order to get revenge on the man and his family that had raped their sister. But the next time men complain about the bride price of the Lobola being too high, and I will admit, oftentimes I see it is just far too high. We'll talk about that next episode and the weaknesses, but just remember there is a story where the bride price was not cash or cows, it was circumcision, and they were willing to go through that pain in order to prove uh, their commitment.
0: Yeah, the whole city, not just, uh, not just one individual. So, uh, quite remarkable. Make sure you're reading your Old Testament. But uh, as I was saying about culture, a lot of people are concerned about culture and cultural symbols being lost is there any value that lobola provides in that regard
1: i think there is a a level of value where people say this is so much africans will say this is so much a part of who we are if we relent on lobola if we give this up it's just it's just one more item that we are giving up to lose our african heritage and culture and i want to say publicly that any Cultural practice that is not opposed to scripture, we ought to enjoy that. Whether it is wearing a certain color of clothing that your culture is known for, whether it's a certain kind of food, but whatever we do, we ought always to ask ourselves the question what says the scriptures? Does this align itself with scripture? If it is opposed to scripture, then we must discard those particular parts of our culture. If it is aligned with scripture, or is it not opposed to scripture, then we may happily follow it. There are many aspects of labola that I think are in lockstep with scripture, and we ought to enjoy it. But if there are parts of L'Obola that is in opposition to scripture, then we must discard those and discard those happily.
0: Hmm. And this uh, goes in line with Something you've said many times before, um, some people may think in a very simple plane and think that oh, there's a Bible in a there, there's a there's a verse reference in the Bible that says this, but something you're often doing with in, in missionary minds is uh, taking a apart and looking at implications of different things, like what you just did by the with the woman by the well, the implications of when is marriage and Ah, uh, people should be thinking that carefully about their their culture.
1: We we might even call it a moral syllogism, which we we've talked about before. Some people want to have the exact verse to speak about their exact situation, and if there's not an exact verse, then therefore we are up a creek without a paddle. What are we supposed to do? Well, if we use the moral syllogism, what we can do is take broad principles and then apply them to specific situations. A common one, uh, if you're talking about hijacking airplanes, of course there's nothing in scripture that is opposed uh, specifically about hijacking airplanes. We don't find airplanes and we don't find hijacking in scripture, but we do have the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. We take a general command and then apply it to a specific situation. So the syllogism would be something like this. uh, You should not steal. Second proposition, hijacking an airplane is stealing. Therefore, you shouldn't hijack airplanes. You shouldn't look at uh, pornography on your smartphone. There's no smartphones in, uh, in scripture, but there are broad principles. Matthew 5, 28, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. So proposition A would be don't lust after a woman. Proposition B, looking at pornography on your smartphone is lusting. Therefore, our conclusion is that. So we ought to do this hundreds, thousands of times. When we apply even things like this to Lobola, we take a general principle from Scripture, and then we apply it, we narrow it to a specific situation, and we can come to accurate conclusions from that.
0: Thanks, brother. Um, As we move on here, I want to speak a bit about how Lobola relates to the value of a woman. I remember, once again, leading up to um, my journey towards marriage, I was speaking to this other Christian lady who's from a, a different culture. And when I told her that I was preparing to pay Lobola, she was almost irate at the idea. It's like, are you exchanging money for um some goods? Like what does this say about the woman? Um, but not all people view it like that. So what what does Lobola say about responsibility and value, respect?
1: I can say in my personal interaction as well as articles that I've read. In general, I would say, the majority of women are pro-bride price, pro-labola. Uh, and, and I would take it from this perspective. They would say they feel valued, they feel important. And I've read that and heard that as, as well. It seems as though perhaps the men are less pro-Lebola because of all the time and effort and cost it takes but it seems as though it causes problems later on in the marriage as well if there wasn't Lobola paid um the response is well you didn't you didn't pay for me or you didn't appreciate me or the family will come in and say well don't come to us now we said you ought to pay you didn't pay and now you're having problems and, and you want help. It doesn't work that way. Or I've heard a number of situations where if Labola was not paid, then when a child comes about, in some ways the child is viewed as the child of the father of the woman, but not really belonging to the father. I've seen that a number of times. So it, it is communicating intimacy, it's communicating respect, it's communicating commitment. It's communicating love. Another issue, and by the way, at least in South Africa, uh, Labola would fall under the category of, of a customary marriage. One of my concerns, though, is however easy it is to get into a marriage, just remember it's going to be just as easy to get out. So that's why we want to put up a number of parameters. We, we want to put up a number of blockades, in a sense that someone has to go through a number of hurdles so that when he finally reaches marriage there's actually going to have to be a number of hurdles to get out of that marriage so we started with a story where we were trying to determine from that young man if he was married and i took a position strongly that he was not others took a position strongly that he was but it was very interesting in that particular situation it was just a couple months later that suddenly she was gone and he just, he just moved on. And really, what were the ramifications? He entered into it very easily. There wasn't the church involved. There wasn't a huge ceremony. There was a little exchange of money, but hey, you lose money sometimes. And then he just moved on. There was no paperwork. There was no need for formal divorce. Uh, there were few witnesses. So it was easy in and easy out. That's why we ought to have two or three witnesses. That's why we ought to have the church. That's why we ought to have the family. That's why we ought to have marriage certificates. We ought to sign our name on the dotted line. What happens when alimony needs to be paid or child support, all all those different issues, the more hurdles you put up entering into it, it's actually going to, in a sense, protect that marriage because it's not going to be easy to
0: exit. Uh, As we move on here, As I think of many Christians who know their Bibles well, if you say the words to them, groom, bride, price, paid, their minds are going to rush to one place, and that is the price that Christ paid for his bride. So, are there any connections that we can draw uh, of another benefit of Lubola there?
1: I think so. There was planning among the members of the trinity jesus christ came to earth at just the right time and he he did pay a price he paid a price for his bride and so i think we can take some implications from that i don't think we should take it too far but there are implications from that the groom to be ought to plan he ought to think ahead. He ought not to rush into this. And he ought to be willing to pay a price even before marriage. Because in marriage, one of his chief roles is to love his wife as Christ loved church. And Christ gave up ultimately his life for the church, for his bride. And therefore, we as husbands are called upon ultimately to give up our lives for for our bride. And that may be uh, physically, it may be economically, however it may be, we give of ourselves to our brides as Jesus Christ modeled that for us.
0: Brother, as we close off here, any concluding remarks that you have for us?
1: I would just say there are some excellent examples in scripture of the bride price being paid. We see that For example, in the book of Ruth, a bride price was paid. Uh, We see that repeatedly in in the book of of Genesis. We find betrothal uh, in the New Testament. And I think if your culture calls for that, that is appropriate. But let's remember what those three legs are on the stool of covenant marriage. It would be number one, consent, number two, commitment, and then number three, consummation those three are necessary for marriage. That's the bottom line. That's Genesis 2.24, the greatest definition of marriage in Scripture, Genesis 2.24, quoted often in the New Testament, where a man leaves his father and his mother. Uh, He's not dragging her off. There has to be consent. So we wouldn't agree with forcible marriage. We can annul those kind of things. There needs to be consent. There needs to be commitment. There needs to be some kind of vow or oath or a visible commitment to the wife on behalf of the husband, sometimes that's wrapped all together in the Lobola process. And if so, hey, let's call that marriage. But a simple passing off of money or cows or whatever it may be, we would not call marriage. And then finally, consummation. It is the one flesh union. When you bring those three together, that is indeed uh, biblical marriage, covenant marriage. These are ch- things that the church should rejoice in. These are things that the church ought to encourage their young people to follow when pursuing marriage, not to do something quickly, haphazardly, uh, in the shadows, in the dark. Uh, let's follow the counsel of our leaders. Let's follow the dictates of what scripture says is, in fact, marriage, and the Lord will bless us for those items.
0: What a treat, Pundisi. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate it and subscribe to keep posted with more upcoming content. Feel free to share this episode with someone who might find it interesting and submit any questions you may want answered in a future podcast. You can email those questions to paulschleiline at gmail.com. You can also visit betweentwocultures.com for other resources like this. I'm your host, Yamikani Katunga, and until next time, that's it from Missionary Minds.